When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Cocky Ride Home for Wednesday, November 25th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. The Thanksgiving Day prank at NASA that ensured Thanksgiving Day pranks never happened again. How artificial intelligence could finally end the spread of tuberculosis. The new EP from a new wave band that is definitely not just Green Day in masks. And Dr. Fauci's ruling on whether it's safe for Santa Claus to visit this year. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. If you thought the holidays in your house were stressful, at least your Thanksgiving won't involve an international crisis that you have to manage from NASA's mission control. Or at least, I hope not. If any flight directors or astronauts are listening in, please let me know. But even if astronauts are listening, they're not, the incident I'm about to share will never happen again on NASA's watch. So 29 years ago, in the early morning hours of Thanksgiving, while the crew of STS-44 on the space shuttle Atlantis were sleeping, lead flight director Milt Heflin got a phone call that would begin what he calls the toughest 30-minute period of his time in mission control. And bear in mind that Heflin was chief of the flight director office during the Columbia shuttle disaster in 2003. It started with a flight dynamics officer in mission control telling Heflin that the Cheyenne Mountain Air Force Station had just called with a warning that a dormant Turkish satellite was potentially going to hit the space shuttle in just 15 minutes. Heflin was apoplectic. Usually the Air Force gave them 24 hours notice for something like this. He didn't have time to get his engineers to calculate an avoidance maneuver, and crucially, the conjunction was due to happen right when the shuttle entered a communications blackout as it flew over the southernmost tip of Africa. But another weird thing about this situation is that, while we talk about it a lot these days, space debris, like a dormant satellite, was not as big of a concern back in 1991. Not many collisions had ever happened. Nowadays, quoting Ars Technica, this is a much more serious problem, with nearly 3,000 satellites in orbit around Earth and more than 21,000 pieces of debris measuring 10 centimeters or larger. 
end quote. But that didn't make the situation less serious when Heflin was made aware of it. There just wasn't time to do anything, however. As Heflin was about to step out of the control room, resigned to use the restroom, one of the controllers asked him to look at the ground track display which showed the orbital track of the Atlantis space shuttle, saying they included the Turkish satellite in the display. Heflin didn't want to see it, however. Since there was nothing that could be done and no one knew how close it would get, he didn't get how looking at it would make any difference. He left for the restroom without looking at the display. When he got back, the two flight controllers he'd been working with confronted him. They had made the whole thing up. The Turkish satellite had been meant to be a play on Turkey since it was Thanksgiving, and if Heflin had looked at the ground display, he'd have seen that they coded a drawing of a happy turkey orbiting in space onto it. Relieved, Heflin figured he would deal with them later and it would all be over. But then, a rep from the shuttle's program office came asking about the conjunction, having heard about it and thinking it was real. When Heflin assured him it had been a prank, the rep admitted that he had already called up to the deputy manager of the space shuttle program. It was fast spiraling out of control, far beyond Heflin's team and into the hands of higher-ups who would not see the humor in it. Fortunately, Heflin was able to apologize to the deputy manager and smooth things over, but that would be the end of pranks in Mission Control. Ars Technica, who published this account and spoke to Heflin recently to hear it from his perspective, points out that in the early days of NASA, pranks and general tomfoolery were fairly common. The agency got more straight-laced as time went on, mostly out of necessity for security, but even in 1991, it was still significantly more laid-back than it is today. So if this story horrified you, just know that such a gag would definitely not happen again. But in hindsight, it is pretty funny, and might help you put the stressors of your holiday into a bit of perspective. There's an app called QXR that's one of several new AI-based tools that assists doctors in scanning and diagnosing tuberculosis. QXR specifically works by scanning an x-ray for signs of tuberculosis or 27 other conditions. If the app spots any signs of, in this case, tuberculosis in the x-ray, it assigns the patient a risk score, which can then be confirmed by a doctor. Madhukarpai, the director of the McGill International TB Center in Montreal, told the New York Times, quote, Among all the applications of AI, I think digitally interpreting an image using an algorithm instead of a human radiologist is probably furthest along, end quote. Experts note that AI can't and shouldn't replace clinicians, but combining the two yields powerful results. Tuberculosis killed 1.4 million people last year. It's the most deadly infectious disease on the planet. So any tools that can help spot the disease early and potentially even identify emerging clusters will make a huge difference. These kinds of tools are especially helpful in more rural areas because they cut down on the number of lab tests that need to be done, and in addition to lacking the amount of supplies to serve their entire local population, many of whom have to travel over 100 miles to get to their nearest hospital, rural hospitals also tend to have very small staffs who have to be proficient in everything, even if they aren't necessarily experts in certain fields. Dr. George Matthew, the director of the medical center in the district of Simdega, has taught himself to read x-rays, but occasionally has to call on his radiologist colleagues who live many hundreds of miles away to help him out. And sometimes the signs of a condition are too subtle for a non-expert to catch on an x-ray, and especially to catch early when they could make the biggest difference. 
Dr. Matthews Hospital is one of several in India that is now using the QXR app. At one of them, the app helped diagnose 20 patients with tuberculosis in October alone. Quoting the New York Times, In studies comparing different AI applications that were conducted by the Stop TB partnership, all of the AI apps outperformed experienced human readers, and QXR seemed to fare the best. The app identifies TB with an accuracy of 95%, according to Cure.ai's chief executive, Prashant Warrior. But that level of precision is not based on real-world conditions, which Dr. Topol called a common problem with AI-based apps. End quote. And like with most AI, the more data it gets, the better and more accurate it becomes. So, for example, the team points out that it would probably not work as well in the U.S., where tuberculosis is much more rare. But Dr. Ashita Singh, the chief of medicine at the Chinchpata Christian Hospital, is hopeful. She told the New York Times, quote, I'm just dreaming of a time when something like this would be available to all the little primary and secondary healthcare centers in the government sector who hesitate to do x-rays because they don't have the confidence to read them. If this was to be made available at every x-ray center in rural India, I think we could beat TB. End quote. Last week, a new EP called Trans Am was released by a new wave band called The Network. The four-song album is their first since 2003, but it's already making headlines, and not just because it features song titles like Flat Earth and Ivanka is a Nazi. That's Ivanka spelled with three Ks, by the way. No, it's also because The Network is almost certainly just Green Day's new wave side project and also maybe features two members of Devo. So 17 years ago, back in 2003, a new album dropped from a band called The Network on Adeline Records, which used to be co-owned by Green Day frontman Billy Joe Armstrong. Despite that connection and the fact that the main vocals sound just like Billy Joe Armstrong, Green Day have never admitted to any connection. The network appears with their faces covered in all album artwork and promotional materials, and they've built storied pseudonyms for each other, including, quoting an MTV article from 2003, Van Gogh, who's a macrobiotic vegan from Belgium, The Snoo, a former Mexican wrestler from Argentina who was twice jailed in Texas for messing with the state, and Captain Underpants, a Swedish stutterer, end quote. The are-they-aren't-they they conspiracy built up to a staged 2003 press conference with the network who ended up brawling with the press when pushed to their limit by questions on whether or not they were associated with Green Day. And people are still playing into the gag. Since Adeline Records is no more, the network released their new album with Warner Records, who announced the move on Twitter, saying, It's not every day you have the honor of signing Green Day's biggest nemesis, end quote. To which one Twitter user replied, and I'm censoring a bit here, quote, Dudes, not gonna lie, that's effed. Where's the loyalty to Green Day at? End quote. Now, while that side of things is kind of fun, the network leans hard into conspiracy themes in their world building. Although, maybe for good reason? One thing that I haven't mentioned yet is that their album from 2003 was called Money Money 2020, which warned of the horrors to come in the year 2020. So, thanks for that, guys. Anyways, this latest EP release, Trans Am, is just a teaser for their upcoming full-length album dropping on December 4th called Money Money 2020 Part 2, We Told You So. The band said on Twitter, quote, 
Back in 2003, we, the network, warned mankind of the fate they would meet in the year 2020. To no surprise, 2020 is upon us and it looks exactly as our prophecy predicted. We are at threat level midnight. End quote. They get much weirder in a longer statement about the album claiming to be time travelers and saying, quote, Within the binary codes of this album exist the keys to our past, present, and future DNA. The gods are laughing, and it's up to you to prove them wrong. You're welcome. End quote. Yeah, I mean, listen, the world building is a bit much, but the music isn't bad, if you're at least a casual fan of both Devo and Green Day. Here's a preview of probably their most controversial new track. They've got a music video of that song up on YouTube if you want to see the masked band members in action. And hey, I just realized that they kind of predicted masks being a thing in the future. The whole thing is completely weird, but hey, it's 2020. Even Devo and Green Day need a side hustle. Before Santa Claus officially rings in the start of the Christmas season with his annual appearance at the end of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, which, yes, is still happening, but with a reduced staff, no crowds, and several pre-recorded segments, I thought it would be good to reassure you that, according to Dr. Anthony Fauci, Santa Claus is in fact immune to COVID-19. USA Today noted that many kids have been worried about the big dude from up north entering their homes on Christmas in a year when they've been repeatedly warned about not having visitors. And USA Today points out, quote, There's no denying that Santa, because he is older and overweight, would at first glance appear to be at a higher risk of developing severe disease from COVID-19, end quote. But Dr. Fauci told the paper, quote, Santa is exempt from this because Santa, of all the good qualities, has a lot of good innate immunity, end quote. Or, as people have been commenting online, he has plenty of Santa bodies. Still, Boing Boing, ever a source for searing critique, said, quote, Fauci did not provide evidence for this claim, even as he carved out a clause-shaped exception to the CDC's recommendations for holiday gatherings. This is fair. Presumably, Santa Claus would not be spending more than 15 minutes inside anyone's home, considering how many houses he has to hit in a single night in order to make Christmas happen. Furthermore, he would likely be maintaining a social distance of at least six feet from the children all nestled snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums dance in their heads. End quote. So if you've got a more discerning kid who doesn't believe the Santa body's immunity line, maybe reassure them that Santa will take extra care by keeping his distance, wearing a mask, and installing a UV light in his sleigh to keep all the gifts germ-free. Plus, you know, we haven't heard about any community spread up in the North Pole yet, and I'm sure Kris Kringle will quarantine and get tested ahead of the big day just to be extra sure he's not spreading anything besides Christmas cheer. Two more things before I go today. First, remember shortly after the U.S. general election when I talked about how Colorado passed a first-of-its-kind referendum to reintroduce the gray wolf population? Well, it turns out that a listener to this show was involved in a campaign that helped make that happen. 
Duncan was one of several artists sponsored by Restore the Wolf and the Rocky Mountain Wolf Project to create installations around the state of Colorado that would raise awareness about the ballot measure. It is super cool and clearly made an impact. I'll put links in the description box so you can see pictures of Duncan's sculpture and all the other artworks from the campaign. Now, second note before I end today is that I am taking the rest of the week off for the holidays here in the U.S., so no show on Thursday or Friday, but I will be back again on Monday. And until then, I hope you all have a safe and cautious weekend. I'll talk to you again on Monday.